0: Often said that purposeful work is one of the ingredients of a meaningful life. But what really is purpose? How do you find it? And what do you do once you have?
1: I always say you do good by doing business. There are many examples of businesses who really make a difference now, but they're still able to run a solid business, so they have profits. And you use that profit, it flows back to the purpose you're working for, and you have Big brands like Patagonia and Toms, they're multinational social enterprises. Uh, They are pioneers for me towards this new economy that works for all people, uh, which is circular, inclusive, and sustainable.
0: Welcome back to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. Join me as I speak to the women building purposeful work lives about what purpose really means to them and what they've learned on their journeys so far. How do they create impact? What actions move needles? What is the purpose effect? Do businesses have a responsibility to do good? How do you connect with today's conscious consumers? And how do we measure positive impact? Today's guest is Martina DeLieu, the co owner of the Filipino social enterprise Not a Daydream and the founder of Junglebird, a boutique impact PR agency. We're talking about what Martina has learned in her years of working with NGOs and social startups, and how to make building a profitable, purposeful business actually achievable. It begins with something as simple as intention. But to kick off our conversation, I ask Martina what social entrepreneurship really means.
1: Yeah, it's so good that we start with this question, as I really believe there's so many ways to look at this way of doing business. It's such a buzzword. And there isn't really a general consensus, which make it sometimes difficult to operate. Uh, There are different types of this kind of organization. And I feel that I meet a lot of people here that see this business is limited to a business that is doing good. It's not for profit and adding social to your business by offering maybe jobs to refugees or B40s. And from a more global perspective, you see institutions like Harvard, B Corp, they say social enterprise means using business tools to address the social needs. Being a social enterprise means going beyond the focus on revenue and profit and clearly understand that you operate in this ecosystem and that all these relationships are equally important instead of just the shareholders. So personally, I choose to work and advocate for this type of social enterprise, which I feel is more sustainable. So one that is for profit but puts purpose first. So it's a way of doing business where you put a societal issue first and then try to solve it with your business. So to distinguish yourself from an NGO, it's really about the business part. I always say you do good by doing business. And it goes hand in hand to make it work on the long run and not spend time. Like most of the entrepreneurs don't want to spend time applying for grants and looking for donations, so that's, for me, the difference from an NGO. And to to distinguish yourself from a regular business is that you put purpose before profit. So it's like a game changer there, right? So there are many examples of businesses who went as well to a transition there and really make a difference now while they're still able to run a solid business. So they have profits and you use that profit. It, it flows back to the purpose you're working for. So that circle in the end is like a win, win, win. And you have Big brands like Patagonia and Toms, they're multinational social enterprises. Uh, They are pioneers for me towards this new economy that works for all people, uh, which is circular, inclusive and sustainable.
0: Yeah, I think it's very interesting that you mentioned that social enterprises wrapped up in this idea that it's not for profit or that it shouldn't be for profit, but your focus is on the for-profit solutions um, to some of the big social or environmental issues that we're facing. And what is the reasoning behind that? Why do you prefer to direct your energy to business, for-profit business? Is that because you think you can create more impact if you're not reliant on grants or donations?
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's the main reason. Uh, but to to look more beyond that, I, I, I believe personally that any business in the world right now should act as a social enterprise. So should put purpose first and then think about profit. Uh, in the long run, that's the only way we can be sustainable uh, and we can be social responsible. It's just not working if you're putting shareholders first right now. But it's also not working if you're uh, depending too much on grants and and government there because you see NGOs struggling every time they spend a lot of energy uh, getting their money there and it, that energy could be used as well by really working on the purpose so for me it's like the best of both worlds um that we should look at like is this is a new way of doing business and, and it's not something that I came up with By well, I, I made my own <laughs> I made my own way of working with it as well Uh, But it's something that has been said as well by bigger institutions. We're all striving or striving to get there uh, in this way.
0: Yeah. So how did you get to this place where you decided that you wanted to work with and support um, social enterprises? How did this vision of business being uh, purpose-led and purpose-first Where did that start for you?
1: Yeah, so for me, it started back in the Netherlands where I was working uh, in PR and communication. I had my own company there and I was shifting more and more towards things that I would like to do. Uh, Like I want to help businesses that I feel like, oh, they really resonate with me. And more and more, it came clear that all these businesses were doing something with either social responsibly or more sustainable. Um, And I felt like, moving uh, countries, we were moving to the Philippines, I want to do something with that perspective as well and be able to give back to our new home country. Mm -hmm. So I was talking about it with people um, from the Netherlands and then I met this woman and she had this business uh, called Not A Daydream in the Philippines and when I went there for the first time, um, I saw what she was doing and I thought like this is really the match made in heaven here. This is what I can do and the way she didn't put it as a social enterprise, but the way it's done, it's, for me, it felt like this is this is a social enterprise. She was uh, setting up uh, a workplace for uh, women from Tondo. It's one of the most important areas of Manila. And she was really impacted by what she saw there. And she felt like she could do something there. So mm-hmm. she set up a bag brand by um, really educating them how to make bags and getting local artisan fabrics from the North um, of the Philippines and then combining that into a business. So when I went there and 2019, I felt like, okay, let's see how we can really take this to the next level to really make it a business. Um, And I don't have any fashion background, so (laughs) any network in the Philippines. So I felt like, okay, let's do it together. So I I met up and now we co-own it with with Sherry Scott Leon and we were running this amazing business um, and learning more about being a social enterprise and really connecting locally there with NGOs, with governments, with other businesses to feel like, okay, how can we make a really solid business of this bag making and still give a fair price to uh, the weavers and also give a fair income to our ladies who are making it and it really it's a win-win-win again people are really happy uh that to buy a bag they're really happy to make it they're really happy to make the resources i think that combination makes me realize it, it's doable uh and it's also scalable um so yeah for me that journey starts there i mean i love
0: not a daydream i've been a fan of your bags since you introduced them to me but I want to talk about some of those business challenges that you've just highlighted. How was Not A Daydream being run when you joined the business? Um, and what is it today? And what have been some of the big challenges that you've seen over that journey?
1: Yeah, so it, well, when I took over, it was a small business. Um, it was there. It, really, it was just a new business as well, like nearly two and a half years old. Um, so it was really first about, getting that product there and the first product was a beach bag because uh Mart- marta the founder she was living there and realized this is a country where, where i need a good beach bag and it's hard to find so let's mm-hmm. make one uh, and from that simple need, um we grow now flash forward to 2022 where we are selling in three countries in australia philippines and malaysia and we're ready to expand um to singapore so we empower our team with a stable income, but also with entrepreneurial skills. Because I, for me, the main reason is that they're independent. So mm-hmm. they go to our workplace that we, uh, we work together with an NGO. Uh, they own a workplace. On the top level, they have sewing machines. But on the first level, they have a school for their kids. So when the women come in, the children can go to school. So that's like a win-win there, they can enter the building. They know they earn an income and, and they know their kids get ed- an education at that day. Uh, even better for the week, even better for the month and for the year. But that's like a long, like you're, you're realizing change there. They used to be outside getting plastic and getting paid by day. Um, so it's a whole mentality change that we're developing there. And it's our mission, empowered women, empower women, all get empowered by it from every single person. Uh, And we all, for me, it's the mission that really um, works for me and resonates. It's it's now a bag, but it can be anything. It's like really, we hope to inspire others to be socially responsible. It can be part of any brand. And it's just about the decisions that you make to build a brand. And it's also very challenging, like you said, because one of the biggest challenges um, it's not necessarily a social enterprise challenge, but it's a challenge that more businesses found with our business model, like with working with local artisans, is the, is the logistics, definitely, yeah. from resources. They're, imagine, it's all hand-woven and handmade, so we mm-hmm. depend on that labor, it's art. But as many social enterprises who work with artisan communities, they recognize it's a challenge if you want to scale or even produce because they're mostly older ladies, they do whatever there is in their power to weave, but sometimes someone is sick or a typhoon hits or any other reason why you cannot produce. So it's the charm of our business and a quality, and it's never really meant to scale larger than possible. So it's, to promote uh, and preserve the art of the weaving, to show the world the beauty of what is done, and to respect the quality of those handwoven products, but also to inspire a younger generation to continue that art instead of going to the big city uh, where there is no income for them waiting. But yeah. if you need to, <laughs> if you need to fulfill that order, it's difficult, right? Because you're working in this modern world there, and they are asking, like, okay, we want. 20 bags the same because that's how we used to have it right we we used to it's like a change of mind in a world where we find copies of exact the same bag and we say no, like our every bag is different uh, if from and it's part of our journey to explain as well in this fast fashion world is um, to create more conscious buyers is to tell the story like okay you know you imagine how a product is made you need to keep on doing that and make basically our challenge transparent uh, yeah. and use it as an opening for a conversation.
0: Yeah. So it is difficult for a business like yours, which relies on artisan labor and artisan labor, which you know, so your supply is not necessarily consistent. It's difficult to scale. So I guess that poses a challenge from a, you know, a financial perspective. Not a Daydream will always be a a niche product, I suppose, because there's a limit to how many of these items you can produce. But that also gives it its charm and its beauty because these are one-of-a-kind pieces.
1: Yeah, yeah we choose to do it like this right now. And I, I think we could have been in the Singapore market already, but we choose not to uh, because we felt we had to fix first some things. Uh, mm-hmm. about the logistics and the resources and um, in the Philippines. And that's our base. And I, for me, it's not about the growth, but it's about the impact we're able to make on our 10 women nowadays and about the weaving communities. And it's tempting though, because it's you see opportunities to, to sell the products because I have friends in Europe, they love them. So yeah. I know I could sell them there. But it's not for me about like... I don't know, selling them and having bigger bigger more and more uh, because it's just not scalable and I think it's it could be more because you see like okay you're tempting maybe to choose other fabrics or designs but then you're building a different brand so for us it feels like okay how can we work with our community of beavers and how can we I don't know learn them certain skills and then of course the pandemic it hit there right it was not making things very easy, so we were not even not able to go to our communities up in the northern part of uh, of Luzon, so thats so it's um, has been challenging, and I feel now we we use that time, we're not in a rush. Um, we're here, and we can build a brand that's sustainable for everybody, and it's a niche, yeah, and I believe that's good,
0: yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. You know, in the world we live in, we see a lot of information in the news about um, startups which have scaled really quickly or, or dominated a particular space really quickly. And the emphasis is always on growth, growth, growth. But there's also something to be said about a smaller, sustainable business that will always be small, but it's still creating impact. You don't need to be big to make a big impact.
1: No, no. And I think the story what we really the impact is more by inspiring others. We, we've been uh, discussing uh, this way of working with the mayor of Quezon uh, City. So it's like this neighboring city of Manila and they are setting up workplaces as well. So it's inspiring a way of working. And I think that's basically what we want to reach as well. It's like not just our brand, but it's also showing that it can be done. And bottom line, triple bottom line, you have a good business. And if everybody is working like that, or just a little bit, we have a much better world. It's, and it's really simple things there. It's really like, okay, let's see, like how much do you pay? And, and do you know, I think that's the main question in fashion, do you know where your products are coming from and how the circumstances are, where they are made? should really be more aware about that
0: yeah so you mentioned that more and more of these workspaces like the ones that you use in um tondo are opening up around manila what are some of the bright spots that you're seeing in the region are there local funds that social enterprises can access or government support in the region what schemes do you think are working well
1: yeah so I believe it's best to have a mix. So first start with like act as a business, right? So have a business model, think about it, make a case and you have to be like this self-sustainable as a social enterprise to help others. But as many startups, you you can get kickstarted there, right? With an extra certain funding. uh, And there's like, you have Asia Foundation or United Nations, like you have UNDP or local government funds. It's, all out there, there are impact investors from Singapore. It's, it's a bit of a jungle, though. But there are a lot of uh, funds available, uh, depending on what kind of business you run. And it's good, I think, it's like a layer thing. So it's good that if you feel like, okay, I want to scale a little bit, I need to invest, reach out to any of those funds to get your first money there and to make sure you're doing it. We, we decided to collaborate with an NGO who already has everything. So for us, it was, uh, I feel as well there, you don't need to build anything by yourself. It's like uh, collaborating and I don't need to add another NGO in that field of Tondo there are many of them, but let's see how we can help out and yeah. put like a more com- commercial thinking. And I think that's what we're doing there with Sherry as well and Marta did. We gave back our commercial skills Uh, to add on this NGO what's doing amazing work and then we just make it work for us Um, so I think there are different ways it's good to reach out to others as well to find your way there
0: yeah yeah I like this collaborative approach that you have um, working together with NGOs side by side because you can fill the gaps in each other's operations, right? Um, They have the physical workspace and the school, but then they need work opportunities, which you and and other businesses like Not A Daydream can provide. Um, And I think this is what creates the stability and the skills training that reaches beyond these women, right? Because then you're having an impact not just on these women. It has a knock-on impact for the children and for another generation and the wider community.
1: But they make an impact on me as well they make it possible for me to run a business with them so we're all empowering each other in one way and i think that's also for me a very the social way of doing it it's like we're doing it together we're all parts of this bigger chain and we need to all work together and we're all enlightened and are happy at the end
0: i want to talk about the way consumer behavior is changing Because we're seeing the rise of this so-called conscious consumer. And this has probably been a feature of consumer behavior for a while in some markets. But certainly here in Asia, I feel that we're kind of on this crest of this wave of people really wanting to make conscious choices when they're making their purchasing decisions. And I would really be interested to hear from you as somebody who is directly communicating and directly trying to engage these kinds of consumers what do they want and and what do brands and social enterprises and other kinds of businesses need to do in order to engage them a- and engage them authentically? Because I think that's a key part of the puzzle when it comes to conscious consumers.
1: Yeah, so that's also a little bit of a struggle for us there um, because we provide another bag, right? Do you really <laughs> need another bag? Um, so, but I do hope that when... People buy a certain bag, then they buy our bag instead of another bag because it's for us. It's also important that it's durable, so that it's sustainable in the long run. It's not a bag for one season, so it's a bag that you know, is washable. Uh, you can use it over time. That's what a conscious consumer will think first: like, is that consumption that I'm doing even necessary? And yeah. <laughs> Once they decide to buy, they do their homework. You know, and they look at okay, who is providing this product or service, and they want to know, like, okay, how does it impact environment society to design and delivery and even, like, discard, right? So it's all the whole cycle. So, But it's also hugely depending on the financial circumstances of the consumer. So in the end, research shows over and over again that price and convenience will still win by making a certain decision. So there's a small niche group that will go uh, buy in the end sustainable as well there's a larger group already who say they will buy but in the end when they are in a shop and they see the prices they feel like "Mm, mm." and especially now with like the inflation coming up yeah it's challenging right how because pandemic made it more uh made us more aware of it and make a demand for local products as well aware and with shipping costs still going to the roof it's it became also sometimes an economical decision to make to buy something local. It's also really difficult to stand out to find a place where you um, can connect, and I think that's so important because you see conscious uh, buyers; they want to know what your story is about. It's not even about the eco packaging because it's it's we we almost. See, that's like this hygiene factor already we expect them those companies to do so so it's really like okay what are you offering on social level what is the what do you have to offer as a brand um, and for another daydream we're experiencing that same so there are many artists and weavers nowadays that that have that are providing uh, their their uh, fabrics to to bags we were one of the first because they were first used only for dresses and we felt like okay let's make bags of it so it's not really distinguishing us anymore but it's the way we do our business that's why people want to support and they feel they do good while buying the product um so we see uh, our consumers also helping us in telling our story Uh, a lot of people buy uh, not mainly our bigger bags but the smaller pouches or sling bags we have as a as a gift so they want to yeah. show as well. Hey, I'm I'm doing good here. I'm buying local, and I want to encourage you to follow me on this conscious path. Uh, and I think that's how change is also happening. And personally, I also really love to buy from a local entrepreneur. That I know when I buy something there, that this person is making this little happy dance. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's really like that. You know, you're really enlightening somebody when you. Buy something from them. It's so such a direct impact instead of buying from a large chain. But it, yeah. it doesn't mean that I'm not doing that at all anymore as well, right? So it's like a. I think it's one of the biggest mistakes, maybe as well, by thinking that you can only start being conscious by completely act one way or the other. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm the last person to say that it's like only this way. You can only buy local, and you should only do. Uh, it's hard to change. And I think for change to last in the long run, it starts with a small step and that will eventually lead to bigger change, to more conscious buyer every single step again, every time again. That small change of habits that we are more aware of it and that we slowly get there.
0: When it comes to marketing or engaging so-called conscious consumers, you were saying that word of mouth marketing is really important to you, that conscious consumers, they want more information. They want to know if their purchasing decision is really going to stack up to their personal buying values. So you need to be really transparent with your messaging, but you also need a platform in which you can tell your story. Um, so what is that for you how are you getting the message of not a daydream out
1: yeah, I think that's maybe mainly what we are doing as owners <laughs> to continuously like because I'm not making I'm, I'm not making the bags we design them um, we think about them but I cannot make them myself so it's really something about um, that movement that we're trying to get across and I think it's for key for every social enterprise is to show and not just tell. Yeah. So it's like practice with your preach and don't try to greenwash your business or don't overpromise. promise. Um, so it's, if it's that simple, like what I said with the, uh, that we're not able to make the same bags over and over time. I'm just telling that up front. It's like that simple. And even now with like this, there's this aqua blue. I don't have that thread anymore. I cannot find it. So I won't be able to make it. Uh, Maybe sometime soon uh, I can fly it in probably. But that's not our way of doing business. It's like a local thing. So for me, the decision then is to make uh, bags with the threads that are available, uh, telling that story and definitely be... Uh, transparent and i think that's a big issue in fashion nowadays you know like how well do we how well do we know what's really going on and there are this list of labels that you can give yourself but it's it's painful like like maybe two weeks ago h&m found out that the numbers they were showing on their website um, they were using the higg index that's like a widely used indicator that calculates for example the amount of water you use for your t-shirt compared to other brands and they, they just found out that HM is using that information um, in a wrong way. They interpret it in, in a wrong way. And even this index is now, uh, and it already got criticized, but it's now getting more critics. Like, okay, it's so hard to measure as well. Uh, and it's a tough conclusion that makes me a little sad, like to say that after almost maybe a decade of trying, we, we still can give those numbers. Um, so for me, what's... What's next there is that it, it really should come together with awareness of customers that every product you buy, if it's like, I don't know, for H&M, a T-shirt, you buy it for $10, uh, it's not sustainable, period. It, it's, it simply cannot be made for that price if, it, if you want it to be fair. Um, so it's very demotivating to talk about it. But I think the takeout there, is that if you think twice before you buy something new, it would be so good. So I love the other options that you see uh, more and more. Uh, if we talk about fashion, it's like you can rent, you can do clothes swaps, you have libraries, you have second handed. And for me, if we feel about doing that and also explaining that, like okay, this bag, you know, like you don't need a new one, just give it to somebody else the next time, or bring it back to us if you're done with it. We we can make somebody else happy with it. Yeah. Um, so really want to communicate more about it and we collaborate with other organizations on webinars, on, on mm-hmm. events nowadays, again, to really talk about it um, and to inform and inspire others. So we make this movement all together because that's in the end the only way we can realize it.
0: Yeah, I think the amount of cl- collaboration that I have seen with the businesses that you are working with in, you know, bringing different parts of the social economy, I guess, together so that you can create something that's more sustainable and more cyclical. For example, if you want to create um, like a returns program so that if you're done with the bag, uh, you can send it back and it can be remade into something else. There are other businesses working in that ecosystem and it feels like it makes much more sense to pull them into this network so that you can support each other in changing the entire ecosystem around more sustainable fashion which kind of brings me to the next part of the conversation um and that is your new baby jungle bird tell me about jungle bird what is jungle bird
1: yeah so jungle bird agency brings me back again with my my first love uh marketing and pr and it's it when moving to malaysia after the philippines it it kind of got into me like, okay, this is something, it resonates. It's mm. this way of doing business, it's it's there, but I don't need another brand or product again to make it work. I can go back to what I, what I used to do and help other companies telling this story and making this change happen. Especially uh, when I came here, to be honest, I was a little bit disappointed by um, how far... Uh, Malaysia is with their sustainability and I like you know, the amount of plastic that gets wrapped around my supermarket products if I don't pay attention at the weighing station is for me beyond crazy it's like I or I get two paper straws because one isn't good enough to finish my drink like I don't need any <laughs> like it's so so I see everyday uh, opportunities and I also feel there is movement Uh, But it's definitely in a stage where we need to explain um, so much more about the importance of it before we can convince consumers to really act differently. And there's this wider group of citizens here that has spending power to be able to be concerned about the environment. But there are only three B Corp listed companies here in the country uh, compared to 5,000 globally. And there are 120 in the Netherlands. So I think there's a lot of work to do. Um, And we only have to look outside every single day to see climate change happening. Uh, And I do realize it takes time. So I don't want to like look to Europe or the States and see that this is the path to follow. I think there are uh, local bubbles that need to work on their own way. But I do believe we have to act and not wait till somebody else, like a government tells you to do so. So I would say like encourage everyone who listens as well right now to make a list of five things, right? What can you easily change to be more responsible and sustainable and try to put it in your daily life? And I think that's what I'm trying to do with Jungle Bird Agency now here as well to like encourage businesses, obviously, to help them make more impact with their business. So... You have, for example, ID's Academy here. um, That's a secondary school. They offer education for all, from refugees to traditional international students to locals. And they all offer them the same international curriculum and gives them all an opportunity for affordable education. So I help them with their communication about it uh, because it's needed for them. They're a school. They're good in that operation, but they don't necessarily good in communication. Uh, And that's basically my motto here, to show as well that doing good and doing business is possible. And um, I can talk about it for hours.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I guess the goal is not necessarily to try and reinvent the wheel or to create new, greener or more sustainable products. I mean, obviously, that work is really important too. But in the interests of making this seem achievable for everybody it's also about just making small steps within your own business to reduce your impact. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. For it's, it's the balance that you uh, have to find as a business for people, planet and profit. Yeah. And I can help businesses on that journey Really nudge Sometimes a company into a bigger direction or help them out by connecting them. Uh, like, I know, pinpointing them to the website of UNDP, like, oh, here's all this information you can find. If you don't know what to do, go look there. It's sometimes just that simple. Um, And I think it's, I feel like the glue there that I can act like it, like in between and really lift up others. Yeah. So Jungle Bird Agency
0: is part uh, communications agency, but also part, you know, Business consulting—it sounds like for businesses who are social enterprises or in the social or environmental impact space.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I we have listed like it's it's empowering, so empowering the businesses, the people who work there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's collaborating, so look out for partners for you, and it's communicating because I always ask my clients to first look inside your business and uh tell me what, what sustainable development goals you're working on. Uh you, probably they're 17, so you must be working on People tell me like, no, I'm we're not as sustainable or social. I'm like, yeah, well you are. You know like, it's in you. Yeah, or you can really be. Nice. Or you can be, but maybe you're not acting like it. And I think that's the realization there. If it's like that click is there, it's for me already a win. It's not about doing PR for anything, right? It's like really shine light on those businesses that for me kind of like deserve it to be there right now because they help us making sure that our children are still able to live or our grandkids are still able to live in a world in i don't know 50 year. uh the small steps for me are um are needed from all of us and they're doable
0: Yeah, I think it should be a goal of of every business to try and look internally and see what small changes they can make to, you know, move the needle a little bit on one of those 17 um, sustainable development goals, because it should be doable to move the needle somewhere. But you mentioned greenwashing earlier, and I think it's interesting to talk about the fact that there was a time you know, maybe about a year ago, where ESG and investment in ESG, both within companies, but also from investors, was one of the largest growing areas of investment. But then since the beginning of this year, we've seen a lot of criticisms, firstly, because of greenwashing or because of poor measurement, like the situation with H&M that you highlighted, but also because of global political factors, energy prices, logistics issues uh, have made investing in ESG unsustainable for, for some businesses and certainly been put on the back burner in some cases. So is there a way that we can kind of rehabilitate that image or put that back on the, in the front of people's minds that Yes, we know that the world is going through an incredibly difficult time at the moment, but this is not the moment to undo or walk back some of this great work that we've seen uh, in recent times on uh, ESG.
1: Yeah, so I think it's it's this cycle of change that's happening here as well with, with ESGs and definitely one of the... Uh, issues they have is the consistency to explain ESG investing. It's the same like how I started, like, you know, I have to explain social entrepreneurship from a perspective because there's just not like one way of looking into it yet, maybe. So it's easy to greenwash your investments just as easy as it is with your products. And measurements are still very new. And I think that's okay. Because if you look at traditional bookkeeping, the, the bottom line is already something that you can still argue about, right? Accountants are there for all these companies to check the numbers. And still, sometimes after a dozen of years, there are issues with like non-ESG companies. Like we Now, for them, we need to incorporate triple bottom line. That also includes three times more check and balances and discussions about how to calculate certain things and how to include or extra things. It's just not written in stone yet, although we really want this to be. And I think it's a typical human reaction to change. So obviously what is needed is transparency and structure. And there is still this huge demand for it. But you want to make sure that it is ESG and not a greenwatch ESG. So it's the same for any product that you buy. You want to make sure that if you intend to do good, you really do good. Yeah, like you said, as shown with H and M score scorecard as well, it's they were it was all in place, and it's still not okay. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's it's like where people are working, mistakes will be made forever. So being sustainable uh, is not a magic trick to solve it. It's it's a stage where we all need to go through. I don't believe it's for any business by time to time questionable.
0: Do you have any advice for businesses who are, you know, in that position where consumers are disengaging because they don't feel that they can trust whether or not this business is actually having the impact it says it is, or investors are not prioritizing this anymore? Do you have any advice for your clients on how they can communicate better or how they can sort of inspire more trust in um, their consumers?
1: Yeah, I, it's that's hard, right? Because I, I, I don't have one, one piece of advice there, I think. It's the transparency is so important and the practice what you preach part. Uh, and, I, and maybe it's naive, but I believe if you have that in place, you don't have any issue. Uh, and I think the issues are there with like this gray area. Yeah, uh, and that we also sometimes still looking in a more traditional way to ESGs, so that we feel like, oh, if we just have these numbers there, then it's okay. But you see, this it's not it's not about the numbers in the end as well. I personally really um, encouraged before, like uh, B Corp, to be like, okay, that they set a framework, like okay, if you want to. Like make an impact, you have to follow, um, you know, you go to the, the scorecard as well, and you get a, a certain amount of numbers, and then every year, every three year, they will check again. But they're also criticized uh, because Nestle became part of it uh, with Nespresso. And like, really? Nespresso? They are changing, right? So they're trying to do better, and then they get criticized as well, but are they really trying their best, or are they trying still single bottom line and not triple bottom line. I think that discussion is part of where the stage where we are right now. Um, we, we, we just have to go through it and we have to talk about it with each other and there will always be uh, mistakes and companies who are not following. As a company, you, you have to always find things to improve. For us, but not a daydream as well. We have tons that we want to improve to be even better. And I think that's the fun as well. Uh, of having a business is that like, you know fun it's not always it's always a fun place, but it's like it's in, in the end it's it's you know it's it's never done yeah. um, and it, I know as humans we sometimes want it to be like you know it's easy if we can put it in a box um, but I think it's maybe one of the conclusions to say it's it's maybe not that convenient and that's the truth. I think
0: that you've just hit the nail on the head with one of the most important parts of this conversation, which is that, you know, the measurement, the numbers, that's all important. That's all part of the process. But we also have to be honest about the fact that we haven't figured out how this is going to work yet. I think we've recognized the need. We've recognized that business needs to change if we all want to have sustainable futures. But we're not yet there and figuring out how that's going to work. And I think being really honest about that and open about that conversation and open to having that conversation with other businesses who might be more advanced in some areas than you is, is really important. And I maybe that's the message for brands is, you know, recognize that we don't know what we don't know. And this is a transformational moment in business for everybody. And we can just accept that we're not going to have the answers. But if every day we're taking one small step into improving the way we operate, um, the way our supply chains run, the impact we're having locally, then we are on the path towards making a difference, even if we're not there right now. I want to ask you my favorite question. It's the question that I ask all of my guests on this podcast, and I found the answers so valuable and varied. What does purpose mean to you?
1: And so for me, purpose is often seen and used as a more individual journey that each person or a company makes. So it makes it sometimes a bit solitary. Yeah. Uh, and I always like to think about it's like, it's good to have a shared purpose to be more like aligned and it makes you more innovative or productive or future-proof Yeah, and it will realize happier people and therefore mm-hmm. you're able to have more impactful results because we all want to belong in the end so i kind of had a love-hate relationship with purpose for a while <laughs> because yeah. it was given people all these kind of internal direction and specific words to follow in a company like oh this is our purpose and they were just like a blur of words Um, and then for me it felt um, like a direction in a way but I believe like I I just said like a purpose can only come to life if people are acting on it so only people can make purpose happen so it's important to align with that and keep remembering along the line in the end that it feels about Making an impact together for each other, for people and planet?
0: That resonates because I think something that's become really apparent to me is when I started having these conversations, I was really interested in those people who had had a big idea or had a really strong sense of an injustice or a problem that they wanted to solve. And so their purpose was this really big thing. And it made me feel like that was what was necessary in order to create impact. But I think, you know, as I've gone down this road and I've had more conversations, it doesn't need to be a really big, grand thing. Purpose can just be these small, consistent steps in a particular direction without really knowing exactly how you're going to get there. And I think those are the stories and those are the conversations which actually have so much impact, not just because it's accessible, but it also reinforces the idea that small changes and small steps really make a big impact over time. Uh, and I think you've kind of summed, summed up that feeling really nicely. Yeah, well, thanks. So what's next for Jungle Bird?
1: Yeah, so we're building... Um our agency at the moment and yeah we I think it's simple we want to inspire and inform more and more uh, businesses and entrepreneurs and even on professionals to take their small steps to reach their big goals we're actually open for anyone who f- who feels this story resonates we do these kickstart calls to get any anyone up and running uh, with our recipe and I strongly believe in the power of collaboration so I'm always open for anyone who wants to team up
0: yeah and if anyone is interested in booking one of those kickstart calls, I'm putting the link um, to book one of those with Martina in the show notes. So please um, have a look. Uh, and Martina, are you, you're working with people internationally, not necessarily uh, entrepreneurs or communications professionals that are based in Asia Pacific. Is that right?
1: Yeah, globally. Yes. Yeah, work with people all over the world.
0: But thank you so much for your time, Martina. Uh, this has been really interesting. Um, and I've really in- been interested in hearing, you know, the journey that you described with not a daydream, but also Jungle Bird, the fact that there's been a lot of pain points and hurdles along the way. But, but I also think it's very inspiring that that's part of the excitement of the journey for you. And, and those are some of the, the most rewarding uh, parts of your experience.
1: Yeah, thank you for me being able to tell the story and hopefully inspire as well uh, some of your listeners to find that small step to more their people. I loved this conversation with
0: Martina because for those of you working in the impact space or for NGOs or social enterprise, I know that it's often a tough slog lined with so many brick walls and barriers. But Martina is hopeful, and I think she maintains this hope by focusing on the small steps. If you're working in the impact space and would like to have a kickstart call with Martina to see how she can help you, the link to Schedule 1 is in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode and have a friend, colleague, or family member who you think would like it too, please share it with them. Sharing is how podcasts grow and how we can make sure the work of the amazing woman featured on this show gets the exposure it deserves. I'd love to hear your feedback, so let me have it. You can contact me through Instagram or drop me an old school email. The links are in the show notes. You'll hear from me again in two weeks time. What small steps will you be taking
1: to live more purposefully until then?